All right, we're in a series right now um, called Polarize. We're going to shift gears a little bit here. And in this series, um, we're, what, what we've been doing is looking at really just kind of all the polarization that there is out there in our nation, um, and not just in our nation, but even in the church these days. So you know that as a nation, we are polarized on just about everything. We're polarized on politics. We're polarized on race. We're polarized over COVID. Um, polarized on all kinds of different things. Thank God in this church we're not polarized over football. We all know the Seahawks are the best. And, uh, <laughs> but we're polarized. And, and, and not only is this out there in the, the world, but the polarization has even crept into the church and has, has robbed us in a lot of different ways of this incredible opportunity to be a light in, in our world. But Jesus... Even though there's all that polarization that's happening around us, and we see it even in the church, he has called us, and his call today, his prayer for us today, is the same as it was 2,000 years ago when he prayed in John 17 that we, his church, would be brought into complete unity, that we would become one as him and the Father are one. And this, this is his desire, this is his heart, and there's a, a lot of reasons for that, but one of the big ones is that he knows that when we are one, that the world will, will see Him in and through us. They'll see His beauty. They'll see His glory. And where there's division, there's no mission. But where there is unity, anything's possible. Anything is possible. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of looking at this and kind of flying from a 30,000-foot view level and looking at this from kind of a big-picture perspective. But what I really want to do over the next few weeks starting today is kind of like be begin to take a little bit of a closer look at what it takes to have the kind of unity to, to fight against the polarization that we've been talking about. What does it really take to do that on the ground level? And to do that today, I want to look at the moment in history where the church had its first major experience with polarization. And it all happened um, actually not long after the, the church had its start way back in the first century. You know, a lot of times in the church, we tend to look back at those first early years of the church, and we look at it through this sort of idealistic, overly romanticized view, and we, we, we read passages like Acts 2 and Acts 4, where they're sharing everything, and they're together, and there's miraculous healings taking place, and, and throngs of people are coming to Jesus, and we, we have this sort of idealistic picture of the church, but, but not long after the church started— they had a pretty big, pretty big um, division, polariz polarizing moment that happened within the church. And we don't think about that a whole lot when we think about the early church. But the church of, of Acts 15 is polarized, it's divided. Things are actually so tense that there's potential for everything that, that God's been up to to, to kind of splinter and, and fall apart. And so we're going to go there. If you want to track along this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 15, and we're going to be reading a lot from this passage. We're going to have the verses on the screen as well. But Acts 15 verse 1 says this. It says, While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. So let me just give you a little bit of context to what's happening here in this passage of scripture, um, here we see that there are two groups of people who see things in two different ways. Two groups of people 
they're looking at the same issue and they're seeing it in two different ways. And, and by the way, this is really where polarization tends to happen. Um, you have two groups of people looking at the same situation, the same issue, the same whatever, and they're both looking at this, this same thing from two completely different viewpoints, different perspectives. They see it in just a completely different way. So if you've been driving down um, Malloy or Vista lately, you've seen that there's a new high school going up. And, uh, but just three or four years ago, this was a very, very polarizing issue right here in the city of Ferndale. I remember having multiple tense conversations with people about the new high school. And it was the same issue, should we get a new high school, but looked at from completely different viewpoints. On one hand, you had a group of people that was go going, if we put all the money out there, it's going to be mishandled. There was thinking that the high school that we had was good for a few more years and some concern about taxes going up, all this kind of stuff. But then you had another group of people on this side that was looking at it going, well, the current high school is done. There's, there's rats running through the halls, and there's water pooling in the auditorium, and all this kind of stuff. Same issue, two different viewpoints looking at it, and there was some polarization that happened as a result. Well, in Acts 15, there is one issue at play. They are debating over... What is required to follow Jesus? What's required to follow Jesus? And on one hand, you have the Jewish believers. And how they're seeing this is they're kind of seeing it through the lens of, of Jewish history. They, they have been a part of the Jewish religion, what we call today Judaism. And with uh, Jesus, this group sees Jesus as, as this, the, the Messiah, and they kind of view themselves now is like this sect within broad, the broader Jewish religion, only they have sort of a, a new understanding with Jesus on what the Jewish faith is all about. And, and for the most part, though, they still want to follow all the laws and all the rules and all the regulations that are part of the old religion. That's one group, the Jewish believers. On the opposing side of this polarization, you have the Gentile believers. They have no background whatsoever in the Jewish religion. In fact, their religious background is they served a, a, a pantheon of false gods. And so when they come to Jesus, they are just radically transformed and just changed in every way when they hear about Jesus. So you have these, these two sides, and in the middle of all this, a storm is brewing. The Gentile believers aren't following the old ways. They aren't adhering to the laws and the customs. And, and when you see that the law, the, the one particular law that seems to be of, of biggest concern here, that they're breaking isn't just any old law, it's the law around circumcision, you can see why, depending on which side of the, the debate you're on, that this is an important issue. Because for the Jewish believers, this, this tradition has been a part of their, their heritage for, for literally centuries upon centuries upon centuries, and, and so if you're a, a Jewish person, you're going, we have to keep this. But if you're a Gentile, it hasn't been a part of your tradition and probably isn't in your plans to make it a new tradition anytime soon, for obvious reasons. Enter Paul and Barnabas. These are, are two leaders within the early church. Um, they've come from the same background as the Jewish believers. At one time, staunch observers of all the laws and all the codes that, that went with that, that religion. 
And now they, they though, have been changed, and they see things through this new lens of the cross. And when they hear that the Jewish believers are teaching the Gentile believers, these, these new believers, when they hear that they're teaching them, hey, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved, rather than kind of sit passively on the sidelines in hopes of not causing a stir, they actually jump right into the middle of things. And, and the Bible says this. It says in Acts 15:2, it says, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Now remember that perfect idealistic picture that so many people have of the early church that's just all roses and flowers and everything's just hunky-dory? That's not happening here in Acts chapter 15. It's gone. This is so bad, there's probably even, even shouting going on in the room. They are, they are at a moment where there, there is a, a rift that has formed. And did you know that one of the keys to having unity, to to defeating polarization isn't shutting your mouth and being quiet around the issues that matter. It's not. Some people think it is, but it's not. That might actually, that kind of silence might actually lead to a, a watered-down version of unity, but it won't lead to a unity, a oneness that is strong, that is built around truth. Now, of course, there are times where being silent is the right approach, and we're going to be talking more about that in the series. But there are times when an issue is important enough that you need to speak up and say something, even if what you have to say is going to make some people upset. And in order to know what's a speak up issue and what's a stay silent issue, we need to first be able to answer a very important question. And here's the question. What are the essentials in the church that are worth speaking up about and, and even maybe being polarized over? And what are the non-essentials that are probably not worth dividing over and where it would be wise just to be silent and not say anything? And this is, this is really an important matter to rest to the ground, what's essential and what's not. It's, it's also important to pause from time to time and all of us would be wise to do this from time to time, especially living in, in a polarized world. It, it's, it's wise to pause from time to time and just ask ourselves the question, is there anything that we or I have made essential that in the grand scheme of things is really not an essential? It's a non-essential. Because in life, you're going to find that, that people will always be more than happy to tell you what's essential and what's not. People are always going to be more than happy to tell you what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing, what you should believe and what you shouldn't believe. Um, when Becky and I first got engaged, there were people, like probably some of you have been engaged, you, you had this happen. Um, there are people, not a lot of them, but we had people who had an idea of what was essential for a young couple to have in place before we got married. Anybody else ever been in that boat? Where they had an idea what needed to be together. We, we needed to have, like, all of life kind of plotted out. We needed to have a nice big chunk of change in the bank. Um, the, the, my friends, the guys my age, I had guys that were, they thought they knew it was essential for a young couple, and it was just to stay a young dating couple. And for me, not to get yoked in marriage, shackle that ball and chain on. They're like, don't do that, Rich, whatever you do. And then there's, just, there's the, the group of people that just, 
thought, okay, you, you need to have a high-paying job. Rich, it's not a good idea to get married and have a job that's not paying a ton of money. But for Becky and I, those were, were maybe on the radar a bit, but they paled in, in comparison to a couple of our big essentials. One of our big essentials was we just knew that we loved each other and we were going to be together for the rest of our lives, so we didn't see any point in, in waiting any longer. Let's just get married. The other essential was we knew that we were burning with passion, and so we needed to get married fast. It was a big requirement of ours. People will, will always have their expectations around what you should or shouldn't be doing around what is essential and what's not. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll find that we too have the expectations that we put on people around what we think is essential and what's not. Maybe you think that people need to vote a certain way. Maybe you think that people need to parent their kids just like you parent your kids. They need to care about climate change or local politics or exercise or football or whatever as much as you do. And, and we have so many different ideas of what's a must, what's an essential, and what's not. All of us. And, and here's why we need to know what's really essential and what's not. It's because if we don't have a firm grasp around what's essential and what's not, we will end up dividing around matters that aren't essential rather than coming together around the matters that are essential. And so here we are in Acts chapter 15. Two parties are divided around the same issue. I mean, they're divided. They're divided. They've hit this roadblock. And so to resolve the conflict, the Bible says, finally the church decided. You kind of get the point. This, is, this has gone on a while. Finally. You know, they've been like debating and arguing and back and forth. And it's just getting more tense and more tense. It's the, the polarization is getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Tempers are flared. All this kind of stuff. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. They're like, we... Stop. We've got to take this one up the chain. The top leadership down in Jerusalem, they need to get involved in this issue because this has got us polarized. This has got us divided. And the Bible goes on to say, when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. These two guys had just gotten back from this big mission trip. And, uh, but, but then some of the believers who belonged the sect of the Pharisees, these are the group of people that they're like, you need to follow the laws and the regulations no matter what. Some of the people that belong to that group stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles met together to resolve this issue. I'm going to read that last line one more time. The apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. That's so good that we need to just stop and camp out there for a couple minutes. Did you catch what they did? They met together to resolve the issue. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say they went on social media to vent all their frustrations and to get some things off their chest. It doesn't say that no, they first went to their buddies because they, they needed to get a second opinion on how all these guys over here were being such jerks and such idiots. It doesn't say they decided to sit it out for weeks and months 
and just stew and get more and more upset and frustrated. No, it says they met together to do what? One purpose for their meeting, to resolve the issue. And if you want to avoid division and strife, whether it's in the church, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your workplace, whenever there's a, a misunderstanding or a roadblock getting in the way of the relationship, the next step for you is to get together to resolve the issue. You have to talk it out. And, and if that doesn't go anywhere, take one here from the early church and bring another party into the conversation to, to work through it and, and, and get past whatever that, that roadblock is. Don't just stay stuck. You know, this happens so often in marriages. They are uh, you know, couples together, and they have an issue that comes up, maybe a disagreement around, around, around how, to, how to handle finances, or maybe even kids, or maybe an issue that they had or a hurt in the past, whatever, and, and they, they get into it, and, and it's, it's just button heads, and they just try to work through it, and, and they just are arguing vehemently, maybe just like we read about in the, in the book of Acts here, and they just don't go anywhere. It doesn't get any resolve, and they just stay stuck in that place. It's, it's, it's good to talk things through, but understand there's, there's some stuff that, that will come up that you just can't work through on your own, where you need to bring in a trusted third party to help you work through that, whether that's a pastor, whether that's a good friend, whether that's a, a, a professional counselor. Bring in someone to help you talk through and resolve that issue. And that's exactly what they do here in this, 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 um, this moment in history. They bring in um, a, a trusted third party. And next the Bible says, at the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. He said, brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the, the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. This is such a Peter thing to say. Everybody, let's not forget, everyone, he chose me from among you. Hey, could you just write that down somewhere just in case I become Pope one day? Everybody will remember it forever. Peter goes on to say, God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. And this is the gospel. Peter's reminding everybody that being saved is not about following a list of laws and regulations. It, it, it's, that's not how we get saved. It's not, a, it's not about us coming to Jesus and first having our lives all cleaned up and and it's not about that we're not saved by our good behavior it doesn't matter if your mother Teresa quality good behavior it is not enough the only way that we are saved is through the undeserved grace of God that's it that's it and we come to him in all of our sin all of our brokenness putting our faith in the work that he's done our hearts are cleansed through faith, like Peter says, and we are saved. This is such good news for us today. It's such good news. And by the way, if you are still defined by the past that you've already repented of, you are not living in light of the undeserved grace of God. If you think 
that your past prevents you from serving Jesus in a, uh, in a meaningful way or that somehow your past makes you a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God, you are not living in light of the undeserved grace of God. You're not. Because what Peter is doing here with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit is, is he's not only bringing clarity to the issue at hand that's, that has them divided, but he's also moving the church towards a unity that is reminding them what is essential. What's essential? You see, one of the biggest things that can divide us in the church is when we start to focus on the non-essentials too much. We get focused on whether or not we should have to wear masks on a Sunday or whether or not we should get, uh, have a certain group of people, whether or not they fit within our circle. We get focused on, 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 on how that person maybe leans too conservative or how this person over here leans too liberal or we get focused on side issues of, of all different kinds and those become the main issue, and they get us distracted. We let those things become the main thing, and pretty soon we're focused on all our differences that they form a wedge, and they begin to, to move us further and further apart. But what Peter so eloquently reminds you and me of is that at the foot of the cross, we are all the same. All the same. We are sinners in need of the undeserved grace of God. There's no such thing as second-class citizens, no such thing as, as me having the high moral ground before the cross, level playing field. And as Paul would later say, there's no, no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. One people in need of Christ, one people in Christ. And when we understand this and we we humbly live it out, out of this will grow a unity, a oneness, so beautiful, so Jesus-glorifying, so heavenly, that the world around us will stop and take notice. And when Peter's done talking, it's Paul and, Barnab Bar Paul and Barnabas' turn, and the Bible says that everybody listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Again, a beautiful picture of what's required if we're going to be one rather than divided. Everyone listen quietly as they work through the issues. There's no like shouting over one another. There's no interrupting. There's, 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 there's none of that. They're, they're, just, they're listening. What a novel thought. If you have something that is dividing you, listening is a, is a great step in the right direction. And when Paul and Barnabas were finished, it was James' turn to speak. And James, tradition has it, um, was the brother of Jesus and the writer of the book of James. And, uh, but, but what's clear is that James is a father in the early church. He's a, he's a key leader in the early church. And in his, in it, he, he has a few things to say, and then in his closing remarks, he says this. He says, My judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Man, I love that. We could, we could camp out on that sentence for, the, for the, the rest of this sermon series. We go a different direction, it's for a different preach, but that's so good. We are not going to make it difficult for the Gentiles who are coming to God. What a great question for, for you to be asking within your marriage, your family, wherever you're at, for you that are, 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 are high schoolers and middle schoolers. 
great question for you to ask is, am I, through my life, making it difficult or easy for people to come to God? Are we as a church, are we making it difficult for people to come to Jesus? Or are we being like John the Baptist, and we're just like, we're out there preparing the way for people to come to Jesus? Great question to be asking ourselves. He says, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And then James gives, gives them what are the essentials. He scales everything way back, and with just a few sentences, he basically says, this is an incredible moment here in the life of the church. In just a moment, in, in, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James basically says, yeah, all those laws and all those, those regulations, dudes getting circumcised, sacrificing animals, the stuff that used to be required to know God and come to God, yeah, no longer necessary. Jesus has made another way. And all the men said, praise God, thank you, Jesus. But, but James doesn't leave it there. Guys didn't get that or it just wasn't very funny? Funnier in my head? Okay, that's, that's cool too. But James doesn't leave it there. There are some areas, some essentials that do matter. He goes on to say, instead, we should write and tell them to, number one, abstain from eating food offered to idols. He's telling them what's, what's essential here, that they remove everything in their life that's going to tempt them to worship an idol. An idol is anything that becomes bigger in your life than Jesus. Anything that becomes bigger in your life than Jesus. That thing that becomes bigger in your life than Jesus could be anything from, it could be anything from uh, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, clothes, money, a sport, whatever, education. Anything that becomes bigger in your life than Jesus is an idol. And what James is saying here is keep Jesus number one. Making anything else number one will destroy you keep Jesus number one. He's enforcing the most important command that Jesus gave us to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. He's saying, here, this is essential. Keep Jesus number one. And next he focuses on sex, telling them abstain from, from sexual immorality. And James is recognizing that, that in that day, in much of the, the same way that it is in our day, they had a very low view of sex. Their attitude was basically, if it feels good, if it feels right, you just go out and, and you do it. But God, on the other hand, has a much higher view of sex. It's something that's so good, so incredible, so intimate, so bonding, not only on a physical level, but on a deep emotional level, that it should only be shared within the protective covenant of marriage. And James wants the church to see that sexual immorality can quickly get in there and derail your life and not only derail your life, but even derail what's going on in the midst of your church and, and we see that that happened in the early church and other places, but he's saying you gotta be you gotta be protective of this it can get in the way of your pursuit of God in an especially dangerous way and we know this today I mean where the the worst kinds of, of sexual immorality are literally just a, a click away scripture says run away from it Run, run, run as fast as you can. And then at the end of, of this little section, James adds a couple of um, kind of weird things, to be honest, if you don't know what's going on. Um, he says they need to abstain from eating the meat of strangled animals and from consuming blood. <laughs> Not something that we, I think, have to worry a whole lot about. But, but 
what's going on here? You're going, what, what the heck? That kind of came out of left field. What is James talking about? Well, here's what's going on. This is about honor. Because traditionally, Jewish people, they wouldn't associate with people who ate, ate meat um, without first draining the blood from that meat. It was all part of their tradition and the laws and the regulations back in the day. And uh, they considered it very, very unclean. And so what James is doing here is what he's doing, he's asking for the, the Gentiles to make a small concession. To make just a little concession here, not because it was a holiness issue, but because it was an honor issue. He knew that if the Gentiles were just to kind of make a concession in this small area, that it would go a long, long ways to, to building unity and to building oneness and a culture of humility within the church. It would foster a, a spirit of, of love among them. And it's the same thing that the Scripture is talking about when it says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Or in Philippians, where it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but where? But, but each of you to the interests of others. And this is how you create an environment where unity and oneness can grow. This is how you create an environment that makes it really difficult for polarization and division to creep in and have its, its way. And if a church wants to get rid of division, wants to get rid of polarization, the best way to do that is by building a culture where Jesus is lifted high and where he's more important than anything else. And by building a culture where we're all about honoring one another above ourselves. I mean, just think about that for a second. You just think about it for, for you that, that are, are, are maybe married in the room. What would it look like, and how would that breathe life and, and oneness in your marriage if that was the culture of your marriage where you, you honored one another above yourselves? What would it look like for you that are our students in the room, if that was your, your heart when you showed up to the classroom, you honored one another above yourselves. What would it look like in your families if you honored one another above yourselves? What would it look like in your workplaces if you honored one another above yourselves? You do that, and, and oneness and unity begins to absolutely flourish. Begins to flourish. And as we close this morning... Can I just ask you something today? Are you focusing more on the non-essentials? Or are you focusing more on the essentials? Where are you at today? And I'd just love it if you would have a moment between you and God this morning to honestly let the Holy Spirit come just shine His spotlight into your life. And, and allow him to illuminate the answer to that question. Are you focusing more on the essentials, or are you focusing more on the non-essentials? And let's just be really honest this morning. I think if most of us were honest, we'd say, yeah, over the last couple of years, wow, I've, there, there have been moments, maybe a lot of moments, where I've got so focused on the non-essentials, and I've completely forgotten about the essentials. In fact, I've, I've gotten so focused on non-essentials 
that it's actually pushed me away from Jesus rather than toward Jesus. I've gotten so focused on the non-essentials that it's formed a wedge in my marriage where at one time we were tight. I've gotten so focused on the non-essentials that where my home and my family, where we were together and we just, there was a sense of love and just honoring one another, I've gotten so focused on the non-essentials that now there's this big rift in my home. I've gotten so focused on the non-essentials that I don't even care about church anymore because I'm just so focused on the non-essentials rather than on the essentials. Where, where are you at this morning? One of the, the, the phrases that have been around CTK from way before I was even connected with CTK is the phrase, we're, gonna be, we're always going to be about keeping the main thing, the main thing. We're going to be about keeping the main thing, the main thing. We're not going to get divided over these, these other issues. Yeah, you can have an opinion on the issues. We all got opinions. Nothing wrong with having an opinion. But we're not going to divide over that. We're going to be all about keeping the main thing, the main thing. We're going to always remember that, that we, at the end of the day, we, we're, we're sinners, desperately in need of the undeserved grace of God. We're all on the same level playing field for, for Jesus. We are going to keep the main thing, the main thing. And as we close this morning, I just want to invite you to let Jesus speak to you about where you're at and where, where you can begin to take some, some steps towards oneness and unity wherever you're at in whatever context that you're in. So would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, i just so thankful for this passage in Acts 15. And Lord, the church was, was not this perfect place where everything was just smooth sailing all the time. No, there was brokenness. There was division. There was moments, Lord, where it seemed like things were so far apart that, that there was just going to be a, a, a massive fissure in the church. But Jesus, they were able to work through these things because of your grace. God, they were able to work through the, some of these things because um, there was just a resolve to, to, to work through the conflict rather than just to stew in the background and be upset and frustrated. God, you put this in here. We're not just so that, 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 that this could be in, in recorded history, but God, so that we today could have a reminder of what it takes, God, to move towards oneness and move towards a unity, God, that's going to reflect your glory and beauty in a way that, that's going to stand out in this divided world. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us, God, to be a people, Lord, who has our hearts just fixed on the essentials. God, may we be a people that is, that is caught up in pursuing you, Jesus, above everything else, loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, may we be a people that, Lord, is constantly living in light of your grace. God, we're just, we're, we are, are, are seeing, God, just our desperate need for your grace. God, seeing how without you, God, we are just forever lost, broken without you. God, may we never see ourselves as, as having the moral high ground or somehow being like these first-class citizens or, or something like that. May we always see ourselves, God, as just broken people, God, who are just, God, in, in, in your hands, resting, God, in your strength, your grace. And God, out of that, I pray, Lord, that, that an incredible unity and oneness would flow. God, God, starting in our homes, God, working its way out into our church, 
into our workplaces, into our schools. God, wherever we might find ourselves, God, that we'd be a light. That we'd be a light. And so, Lord, I know that this morning you are speaking to us. God, if there's anybody, God, here who's going, yeah, I've just gotten so caught up in the non-essentials. God, I pray that this morning they would just, God, hear your grace and your mercy calling them back to what matters. God, may they be quick to repent and confess and come back to you. God, give us wisdom, Lord, in discerning what is essential and what's not essential. Give us wisdom, I pray. And, and Lord, as we, God, in our hearts, set our hearts on you, and God, as we determine, Lord, to live in your strength and, and determine, God, to live, God, with a spirit of honor, God, looking out for one another's interests above our own, God, like you, you command us to do in Scripture, I pray, God, that out of that, God, a glorious, beautiful oneness, unity would, 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 would flourish in that. God, help us as a church, God, to reflect that in everything we say and do. God, when we get off track, Lord, I invite your Holy Spirit to come and, and convict us and remind us, hey, you're getting off on the non-essentials here. Come back to what matters. God, may we be people that are quick to listen and to act on what you're asking us to do. And God, I, I pray that, that here in our church specifically, God, that there would be an incredible oneness that would grow out of this spirit of honor. God, help us in that, I pray. In your name. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Awesome. Hey, I hope that you're being challenged and convicted. And uh, I just encourage you, if God's speaking to you about doing something, and maybe you've been off over here and God's saying, go this direction, I, don't wait. Don't wait. Begin the day. Do whatever you got to do. Do whatever. If you got to have a conversation today, have it today. Don't wait. Have that today and begin being a person that moves towards oneness.